0: Of the uh, of the book of Psalms and and uh, we we haven't made it down through verse number two yet, but that's what we're going to focus on this evening because David, remember the the, the context. David is still uh, he's still on the run uh, from Absalom. Uh, he's he's in a distressful situation. And he acknowledges that to, to the Lord. And, um, and so in verse number 1, we looked at a subheading of, uh, of David looking for a personal salvation from God. Because remember, we, we focused and talked about all of the pronouns uh, in which David is referring to himself. In verse number 1, he's making it personal. Personal. God, I'm in distress. I need you to hear me when I cry. And, and I need for you to, to help me. You, you've enlarged me when I was in distress or in a, a tight place. And so now in, in verse number 2, David looks to God for practical salvation. Uh, Practical salvation is that which is manifested in practice or action. It is not theoretical nor ideal. Now, that manifested in practice or action and not theoretical or ideal is is Webster's definition of the word practical. You know, when you talk about a... uh, uh, well, just talking about the Word of God, you know, when you talk about a, uh, somebody may, you know, ask, you know, about a, may ask you about a passage of Scripture and, and ask you, what is the practical application of that? What, what they're asking you is, how does this apply to me? How is it applicable to my life? How is it worked out? How is it manifested uh, in my life? How do I take this and put it into action every day? Now, here's the thing. I just want to interject this before I go on uh, with with my notes. An experience with God that is not worked out, is not a practical experience. It would either be considered or labeled a theoretical or an ideal experience. But it's not practical. Remember, practical is something you put into practice. So if you you have a, a relationship you know, with God that is, that is not doing something practical in your life, that relationship is either ideal or it's theoretical. An ideal relationship with, with God, or a theoretical rather, a theoretical relationship with God is one that exists only in theory. It doesn't exist in practice. Anybody get what I'm saying this evening? And and your your salvation has as has another side to it than a spiritual side that just affects your your soul. You know, you're you're, you're we talk about our soul being saved. God God saved my soul. You know, and and we always look at at. Uh, the salvation issue from a spiritual aspect. It's a spiritual thing. It's is is not a uh, an everyday. You know, I, I as long as I, I maintain the Holy Ghost every day. You know what? What is the evidence anyway of maintaining the Holy Ghost? Now, before you answer. You know, we, we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost evidenced by other tongues. That's how we know the Spirit of God has taken up residence within either ourselves or someone else. You know, we can, we can be like the apostles, you know, and, and we know they received the Holy Ghost because we heard them speak with tongues. But but how, what is the evidence that the Holy Ghost is is working in in your life every day? What's the evidence of that? The the fruit of the Spirit. It, it's not the fact that you know we used to smoke and we don't smoke anymore. That's evidence of the the Holy Ghost is still there. No, it isn't. Now we we shouldn't take up smoking, but but just the the lack of what we used to do is not evidence that the Holy Ghost is still working in our life. The evidence of the Spirit of God is the fruit of the Spirit. You know this this thing you know like love, joy, and 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 patience, and peace, and. You know, and and all of these other things. The the fruit that is produced by the Spirit of God is evidence. How is the fruit produced in my life? It's a daily thing. It's a practical deal. It's something that, that is worked out in my life every day that I live. You need a practical salvation. Something that affects your everyday life. Something that, uh, that affects your thinking, your thought process. Something that, that causes you to guard how much time you spend on social media. To guard how much time you, you, you spend watching, you know, movies. I, I don't care if they are good. If you spend all of your time doing that, you, you need a practical application of the Spirit of God that, that is not ideal, nor is it theoretical. And you say, Well, I mean, that, I, I don't know that that sounds too biblical to me. Well, let, let, me, let me make it biblical then. One writer said it like this. Faith without is what? What is that? What is James talking about? He's not talking about a theoretical faith. Theoretical faith is that faith that has no action behind it. Because he said, you you show me your faith without your works. What's that? That's ideal. Or that's theoretical. You show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. That's practical faith. That that's a faith that gets you through every day. That's that's a faith that that gets you through a situation of life. Without losing confidence in God. And and without losing your mind. It is that practical side. And and David now is beginning to ask God. I've talked to you now about a personal salvation. I I need your help. I need your help now. What I need is something that, that is going to be manifested in my life now. So... God works for the benefit of his people. Scripture is replete with examples of God working in the everyday affairs of his called people. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 8 and and verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for them, for good to them. That love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. In this context, the good is especially the final glory to which God has destined us. What, what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying, you know what I've heard so many times down through the year. If God takes this job, He's going to give you a better job. Bless God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If God requires one thing from you that you think is good, He don't require anything from you unless He's going to give you something better. And we shout and we glory to God and we shake our heads and hallelujah. All of that kind of stuff. But God may take a job that keeps you out of church. And He may give you a lesser job so that you can be in church. Now, now wait a minute. That lesser job, I'm not making as much money on this lesser job than I was on that other job have to keep in keep in mind that good in this context is not God taking something and giving you always giving you something how many of you've heard that Oh, I've heard it preached. I've heard it taught. You know, if God takes allows this job to be taken away, bless God, you can rest assured of one thing, God's going to give you a better job. He's going to bless you with a better paying job. And we run around the church and we shout, we whoop in glory. But what's going on when it doesn't happen that way? See, we have to understand what good is in the context Good, good, it is talking uh, uh, especially concerning the final glory to which God has destined to us. But it it also includes the benefits of being a child of God in this life. What I have to understand is that, that even though God may have me running through the wilderness like David was in this context, I can look at that and say, you know what, that's not good. David could look at that and say, God, this is not a good place. I'm accustomed to sleeping in the king's bed. I'm accustomed to eating from the king's table. I'm accustomed to being in the king's chambers every day. I'm accustomed to the the fine food of the king. And here I am in the wilderness... You know, we're basically surviving. We don't have the comforts of home. We don't don't have the the necessary things that we really need. In fact, God, I've already prayed that I'm in distress and I need you to help me in this tight place, in this constrained place. But see, David's talking about a practical salvation Because he's not so much looking at what's happening to him right now, but he is looking at the future of what God is going to do for him. It's that final glory in the life of David of what God had anointed and promised him to be. Now, in this context, and I don't want to get ahead of my my notes because we got some good information here. But in in this context, David knew who he was. David knew he had been anointed by God to be the king. And he knew that there was not one thing that was going to hinder that until until the time was appointed that that his rule would end. And David knew it wasn't yet. So what I need God. Is not only a personal salvation. But I need a practical salvation. I need you to do something. That's going to help me to get back to the place. That you called and you anointed me to be. And that's back in the king's chambers. Now now in the wilderness. Fine. I've lived in the wilderness. You know, I took care of my, my father's sheep. I lived out there. I lived when running from Saul. I lived like a dog. I, I was chased like a dog. And, and God, that was all fine. Because even in that, you were working something good that was going to, to affect that final glory that you called and, and anointed me to be. And in David's case, it was to be the king of Israel. And so, so David asked the question, Oh, you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? Another way of framing the question will be, how long will you persist in your endeavor? In other words, David's looking at it like this, this, I know this is just a temporary thing. You think that you're going to come to a certain end in this rebellion. You think that I'm going to be running forever. You think that Absalom is going to sit on the throne. You think that Absalom is going to be the king of Israel. But what you don't know is... That God has anointed me to be king. And so how long is it going to be that you persist in what you're doing? In the back of David's mind, he could be thinking, you know, this is a temporary thing. You just don't know it. So how long are you going to persist in this failing endeavor? Because it will fail. To what extent will you go in this scheme? To what degree will you go in your vain endeavors? How long? It's coming to nothing. So how long will you persist in this? To what degree will you go in a failing endeavor? How long is it going to be that you you turn my glory into shame? The phrase sons of men here is interesting. David raises a series of rhetorical questions designed to expose the shameful action of his opponents. Exalted ones or literally sons of a man refers to men of high degree. Distinguished men. Influential people. These are prominent citizens. The powerful in Israel. The movers and the shakers. The leadership has gotten on the wrong track. And David specifies their error. These men of high degree. Distinguished and influential people would certainly include Absalom. He's the king's son. If he was not influential, then he would not have been able to turn the hearts of the men of Israel away from his own father to himself. Now, I understand it was a treacherous act. I understand it was a deceitful act. But, but you cannot say that Absalom was not an influential young man in Israel. Be, be, because in the right place, the right time, the right circumstances, he turned the hearts of Israel. In fact, the, the writer to, to 2 Samuel said it like this, He stole their hearts. How are you going to steal the heart of a a person? How are you going to turn the allegiance of a man or a woman away from what it is unto yourself? You have to be a person of influence. Influence. Listen, these weren't the paupers in Israel. these These were the wealthy people. These were those in in civil government. These were people who were, were educated. These men of high degree included the leadership of Jerusalem to whom David is asking his question, how long? David knows that even though he's in a time of pressing, those attacking him will not be successful. Ultimately, God is going to bring me back to where I where I was. Ultimately, God's going to restore me. and And how long? How long? David said, "The movers and the shakers of those behind the rebellion are attempting to turn my glory into shame. My glory. What David is saying is, and sometimes we. We kind of refrain from looking at ourselves in this light, maybe. But when David is is, is speaking uh, of his glory, he he's speaking of his honor, my honor as the king. How long are you going to take my honor as a king and turn it into shame? It's a vain endeavor. But how long are, are you going to, to, to take my, my, my honor? It speaks of a rank. I'm the king. You're shaming the king. How long are you going... It, it talks about a station in life. Ultimately, it talks about a reputation. Absalom... The leadership in Israel was trying to deal the reputation of David a death blow. And David's asking them, Oh, you you high and mighty people. You, you highfalutin people. You, you movers and shakers in Israel. Oh you you think you've got me in, in, in the right place because I left it, I left I left Jerusalem in shame. I left Jerusalem with my head covered. I left Jerusalem weeping and, and you are doing your best to tarnish to kill my reputation. This verbiage refers back to Psalm 3 and 3 where David talked to, said to the Lord, you are my glory and the lifter up of mine head. There there is something here that we did not cover in our studies in chapter 3. The phrase, the lifter up of my head, means to restore to dignity and honor. Psalm 3, when David said, You're my glory. You're my glory. God, you're my reputation. You're my station in life. You, you, are, uh, you, you are my honor. You are my rank. And you are the lifter up of my head. You're the one that's going to restore me to honor and dignity. No matter what Absalom's doing, no matter what the leaders of Israel are doing, you, you are my glory and you are the lifter up Of my head. And so here the question is asked in chapter 4. How long are you going to sully my reputation? It's a temporary thing. It's a temporary affair. Because God is the lifter up of my head. He's going to restore me to honor. He's going to restore me to dignity. So going back to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. Could we say that the place that David's in currently could be a fulfillment or an application of Romans chapter 8 and 28. We know that all things work to the good of them that love God. To them who are the called according to to His purpose, work to the good, understanding good in that context is referring more so to the eternal or to the final glory that God has for His people more so than it does the current circumstances. I would say yes. I would say yes. David is looking for a something that's going to affect him exactly where he is. In, in, in our case, in in our case, we have things that affect us in life. You know, good things happen, and then things that we term bad things, you know, happen. But bad in what context? Bad in what context? It's, it's a bad thing for people to be murdered. It's a bad thing for people to be robbed. It's a bad thing for people to lose good and good paying jobs. But it, it, from from what context It is is the loss of a station or a rank in life? In what context can that be a bad thing? If you're a child of God, I don't think in any context it could be a bad thing. When we look again at the word "good" in its proper context, see again, it's not talking about you know, uh, you know, I, you know, God, I lost this job making twenty dollars an hour. God gave me a job making $15 an hour that's that's bad wonder what God's got against me wonder what God's doing Oh, he's put me in this wilderness. I've lost $5 an hour. He's put me in this wilderness. And how long am I going to be in this wilderness? How long am I going to suffer, you know? And uh, where, where, you know, I, 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 I used to eat, you know, boar's head ham for lunch. Now I'm eating fried bologna for lunch. How long is God going to keep me in this wilderness? You're looking at it from the wrong context. Because God, God's focus is not a temporal or a temporary focus. God's view is always an eternal view. So, it, if if it's good, good being the final glory that God has for His children, it if it if. If you lose that $20 an hour job and get that $15 an hour job and it helps you to be more productive in the kingdom of God, who can say that's a bad thing? It helps you to be more faithful to God, more committed to God, who said that that can be a, who said that is a bad thing when you look at at the final glory that God has for his Children, all things work together, and we look at it again from this well, the good things is working with the bad things. I've even said that myself, you know well, the good is working with the bad and it's all going to produce something you know this good God's going to bless and god's going to, God's going to honor and God, and God does bless and God does honor amen but but again it, it's not always a blessing. Hey Amen. You know, I, I've heard people say, "Well, I I don't know how it'd be to be a millionaire, but I I wish God would let me try it out." It it could be that God doesn't have more millionaires in His kingdom, but because He doesn't have enough thousandaires that are faithful. And God knows I can't trust you with a million dollars or two million dollars or or whatever the the case is. Amen. Is is that a bad thing when people are getting when when they're worldly millionaires that are living it up and doing whatever? Look at the final result. You've got to keep your eye on on the on the eternal and not on the temporal. Amen. I've said it like this and I hope God doesn't caused me to have to do it. I'd rather live in a cardboard box this side of heaven and make it to heaven than live in a mansion and go to hell because I could not be faithful to God. Is that a bad thing in the context of Romans 8? Who can say that that's a bad thing? So it's not true. It's not true that just because God requires one thing from God us, he's going to always give you something better than that because again, we're always focused on the, on the temporal. Well, God, you know, I need a better job. I need a better job. I need a better job. I need a better, I need a better situation. And God's looking at it and, and, and maybe asking the question sometimes from what perspective, from what context do you need a better job? From what context do you need a better situation? If I give you a better job, how much more faithful are you going to be? God, I need a healing. I need a healing. I need a healing. I need a healing. Under what context do you need healed? Is, Is your physical limitation, is it hampering you from doing what you need to do and what you've been called to do in the kingdom of God? And if I heal you, are you going to be more faithful? You're going to be more responsible for the blessings that I give you? See, context is everything. And so David finds himself in, in the wilderness and he is looking for a practical. For a practical. <clears throat> the phrase, the lifter of the head, I've already stated, means to restore to dignity and honor. And this is proven. I've got two scripture texts I'm going to read to to prove this from scriptural example. Genesis chapter 40 and verse number 13. Joseph is in prison. He interprets the dream of Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker. They both bring their dreams to him. But but Joseph says to, to the butler, he said, Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head. And restore thee. He's going to lift up your head. He's going to put you back in a place of honor. A place of dignity. And a place of authority. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand. After the former manner. When thou wast his butler. 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 27 through 30. And it came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the twelfth month and on the seventh and twentieth day of the month that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, did lift up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, out of prison and he spake kindly to him and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon and changed his prison garments and he did eat bread continually before him all the days of his life and his allowance was a continual allowance given him of of the king a daily rate for every day all the days of his life so again David left Jerusalem in shame with his head covered according to 2 Samuel 15 and 30 but he's going to return in honor and he's asking the question of Absalom and and the movers and the shakers how long are you going to turn my glory into shame how long are you going to try to kill my reputation? How long will you love vanity? See, what you're doing is vain. It's not going to last. It's not going to come to fruition. What you're trying to do is not going to work. So how long are you going to love vanity? How long are, are you going to seek After leasing. That word leasing is not talking about leasing a car, like leasing property. That that, that is an old English word that that refers to lying. How, How long are you going to lie about this? How long are you going to seek after vanity, this vain endeavor? How long are you going to sully my reputation? And then David uses that word again. Selah. I want you to stop. And I want you to think about that. Oh, you sons of men that are sullying my reputation, that that are degrading my honor, that are doing everything in, in your power to 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 turn something that God has established. How long are you going to love this vain endeavor? And how long are you going to seek after these lies? And now he says to these sons of men. You need to stop. And you need to consider this. You need to stop. Stop. And consider, because in the next verse that will begin next Wednesday, because in the next verse he starts talking to these men about what he knows that God has done and what God is going to do. He said, "So while you're while you're destroying my reputation, and I admit I'm in distress, I'm on the run." But what I'm looking for and what I'm going to receive is practical salvation from God. What God is going to do is going to affect my kingship for for the rest of its entirety. It's going to be something I walk in every day. Every day and every day. Amen. And that's what God intends for his people. We don't just need personal salvation, we need practical salvation. Amen. Something that affects me when somebody cuts me off in traffic. Something that, that affects me when somebody's in the, in the left lane and, and they're weaving and, and you get a chance to go around them and you go by and you look and they're texting while they're driving. I need something that when people try to destroy my reputation, that my faith and my focus can be on God and the expectation of God to bring me out of this distress. It's something that I live. It's something that's manifested every day in my life. Practical salvation. I don't want, I don't want the salvation that I claim. I don't want it to be theoretical. I don't want it to be theory. I don't want it to be just something that, that is a theory. You know, oh I've got relationship with the Lord, but how does that affect you every day of your life? Well, I don't I don't I don't know that I can explain how that affects me. Then then your relationship with God is a theoretical relationship. It's not a practical. Because a practical relationship or practical salvation is something that you can walk in every day of your life something that you can you can say my faith and my confidence is in God Amen Amen Amen. not being distraught and distracted about things that we don't know and we don't understand it's a practical faith a practical salvation it affects me every day Amen. A week or so ago, my wife had a ENT appointment in Birmingham. She's, you know, her voice doesn't hold out. And, you know, it's difficult for her to sing. And I've gotten on to her before not helping me, not singing. I need help up there. You just standing there just banging on keys. And so she's got nodules on her thyroid gland so they ran a light, you know, up her nose and down, looked at her voice box. And the doctor said, your voice box looks good. There's no nodules. There's no lesions, you know. <clears throat> you know, there, you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, due to acid reflux. Do you have acid reflux? She said, I live on Tums. He said, I think that's, that's the problem. Well, they called today and said, we need, want you to come back. And um uh, we 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 need to run a light down your throat to to look at your throat to see if there are any 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 lesions or any nodules you know on your throat. And so and and when when we do that, we we'll do it right here in the office, and when we do that, you will see the doctor afterwards. And also she comes home telling that and she said I don't know you know whether to be concerned or just to say he's just taking every precaution to make sure something's not you know going on and and I said what's there to be concerned about you don't know anything you you have no information so why why be concerned about something you don't know? Why why waste time worrying about that that you don't know? Well, the old saying is, "What you don't know could hurt you," and what you do know can hurt you too. But why why be why be concerned? We we don't need to walk in fear; we need to walk in faith. You know, if they run that thing down there, and there's and there's concerns, then. And then we know what to pray about; we know we know what to go to God about, but right now there's you know there, there there's nothing what what are you talking about i'm I'm talking about practical salvation that helps you to walk every day of your life and walk in faith and and not in fear. We walk by faith, we don't walk by sight. We live our lives by faith and not by sight. Amen. Amen. David was looking for a personal salvation, and then he looked for a practical salvation that's going to affect his life to get him back to the place that God anointed him to be when Samuel anointed him to be king over Israel. Amen? I'm thankful for a practical salvation today. Amen. Amen. Let's stand this evening. Thank you for being faithful to Bible study, but let's lift our hands, our voices. One more time and let's thank God. Let's thank God. Hallelujah.